Amen. You can be seated, kids. Pastor Jeremiah this week is preaching with Pastor Reuben in the Spanish-speaking congregation. So we got an upgrade. Pastor Jeremiah's wife, Donan, is going to lead you out. See how that worked out, Donan? Yeah, it's perfect. Now everybody knows. Now everybody knows. That's perfect. Well, it was an extremely stressful season of life. Pregnant with our first child, Amy and I had moved from Minneapolis, Minnesota to Southern California. And this move, of course, had a lot of change. Change of house, change of job, change of church, change of friends. And oh yeah, we had our first baby somewhere in there. Then then a year later, it was time for a family reunion back on the East Coast. This trip involved driving to LAX, about a two-hour drive from where we lived in Ventura, flying to Atlanta, renting a car, and then making a three-hour drive to my aunt's mountain home in Western North Carolina. And oh yeah, did I mention we were doing all of this with a one-year-old. But the trip started off pretty smooth. Uh, We fought the traffic. We got through LAX security. Thank you, Jesus. Um, We took off on time. The flight went well. Skylar didn't seem to fuss too much on the plane. But when we landed in Atlanta, it was late. Uh, The long flight, the three-hour time change. And um, we knew we were going to get in late. But our hope was that we would get a car rental quickly and get on the road. We had a reservation. But then, of course, the shuttle to the rental car company was running behind. When we finally arrived, there were six people in line in front of us and one person working the checkout counter who, to say it nicely, was giving each person a lot of individual attention. When we finally got our car, we had to get the baby car seat in, and for whatever reason, that process did not go smoothly. And so by this point, Amy and I were done. We were tired, we were on edge, and we were ready for this trip to be over. My wife was wondering why we had to go visit my stupid family. No, she didn't say that. (laughs) She never said that. Maybe she did. Um, But we were almost there. All we had to do now was drive, and Skylar was asleep in her car seat already. As we pulled up to the edge of the rental car lot, I rolled down my window and gave the young man my paperwork. He looked it over, determined everything was good, opened the gate, and said, Sir, you are free to leave. But then, just as I pulled forward, He suddenly screamed and motioned dramatically, stop! It was not in time. You know those little spiky things in the ground designed to pop your tires? This is a true story, friends. I exaggerate not. Designed to pop your tires? It was like a cartoon, literally. I thought I was in a cartoon because both tires simultaneously go, pow, and then until you literally heard the metal rims clank down. It's like, clink. This is when I lost it, friends. (laughs) It was a major meltdown like I've never had before. I don't know that I've ever really yelled 
at someone in customer service before. I, I've felt angry feelings towards people. I'll confess that. I don't... I yelled at that poor kid. About a year's worth of stress and anxiety poured out on him in a solid two-minute tirade like I have never experienced before in my life. It was not my finest moment. Now, why do I tell you that story? A, because it feels good to get it off my chest, you know? <laughs> Church is sometimes just like pastor therapy. You guys pay for therapy, right? I get you to pay me so I can do therapy. That's a bad joke, actually. Um, I tell you this story because I've titled my message today, Following God Through Times of Loss, Struggle, Exhaustion, or Frustration. Following God Through Times of Loss, Struggle, Exhaustion, or Frustration. This morning, we are going to be in Numbers chapter 20. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me, if you will. And in this passage, we're going to explore what might be the most disappointing, difficult, and frustrating moment in Moses' life. This passage starts with struggle, it ends with struggle, and there's struggle in the middle. Today, we will not just learn from Moses' success, we will also learn from Moses' failure. Today, we will see how following God can get hard when times get hard. But we'll also see this, that hard times are perhaps when we need to follow God faithfully the most. And all this brings us to verse 1. Here we go. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Friends, this story starts with the phrase, in the first month. And scholars tell us that what this is meaning is that we are now in the first month of the final year the Israelites will spend in the wilderness. This means that Moses has been leading God's people for quite some time, some 39 years in the desert. 39 years moving from place to place to place. 39 years of manna and quail and complaining constituents. We're also told that in this moment, Miriam, Moses' older sister, dies. Actually, this chapter starts with Miriam's death and ends with the death of Aaron. That's Moses' older brother. One chapter, both of his siblings gone. So this is a time, by the way, friends, of transition for God's people, but it's also a time of transition for Moses. This is a time of grief and loss and on some level, disappointment and pain for him. You see, Moses had had hoped to die in the promised land. He hoped to bury his brother and sister in the land flowing with milk and honey that God was leading them towards. But because of the people's lack of faith, because of their unwillingness to follow God and trust him, Moses will now dig graves for his siblings in the desert. He will put his sister in the sand, remembering all the times that have passed pondering the what-ifs and what-might-have-beens of days gone by. As we enter our story today, we, we meet a Moses who is going through a difficult season, an emotional season. He's susceptible, he's vulnerable, he's fragile and frail in spirit. And this, I believe, set the, sets the stage for what happens next. Verse 2, Now there was no water for the community, 
and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Parents, you ever been on vacation with your kids and they start to complain on vacation? I mean, you're the one who made the plans, you packed the suitcases, you bought the tickets, you coordinated the transportation, and now they're tired, they're hungry, this is boring, and all they really want to do is buy another overpriced trinket from the souvenir store. You ever been in that moment? There was a show some years ago um, on television called Modern Family, and in one of my very favorite episodes, the family is getting ready for the holidays. And, you know, all the decorating that has to happen and all the gift wrapping and all the things. And in this particular scene, it's not going well. The kids are all complaining. Um, the family's arguing. Everyone is upset. And finally, finally, Phil Dumphy, one of my favorite characters on television, gets so frustrated. He says, he kind of shouts out to everybody and he makes this announcement. That's it. Christmas is canceled, he says. And then he grabs the Christmas tree, ornaments, lights and all, and then just rips it and drags it out of the house onto the curb and just throws the Christmas tree on the curb. It's one of the greatest scenes ever in television. Um, if you're a father, you're like, that's what I'm talking about, Phil. Good job. And Amy and I love that scene so much that every now and then we'll just say to each other, like in a moment of stress, I'll say like, or she'll say, I'm about to cancel Christmas. <laughs> like it's getting that bad, right? You ever been in that place where you just don't have the capacity to deal with anything else? Where life's struggles and difficulties and tasks and demands and pressures have all stacked up in your life such that even the smallest inconvenience might push you over the edge. Here's our first lesson today for following God through times of loss, struggle, exhaustion, or frustration. Be aware of the emotional season you are in. Be aware of the emotional. See, be aware if you are running on empty because of stress or loss or hurt or fatigue. Be aware. You see, sometimes in our culture, we minimize feelings. We minimize what we're going through. We tell ourselves that we can handle it, that we can press on, that it's really not a big deal. But it is a big deal, even if we don't want it to be. And lying to ourselves does not change the emotional state that we are in. So our first step, friends, is to just be honest. Accept the reality of, I'm in a season where I'm thin, where I'm tender where I'm prone to respond or, in, or react in ways that I normally wouldn't. Be aware of the emotional season you are in. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the, of the Lord appeared to them. Here, here's our second point today. We're, we're, we're going to get like seven points today. We're going to click through them. If you're a note taker, you're a world changer, write these down. Here we go. When you are in a difficult season, be extra intentional about time with God. One author I read this week said it this way, intentionally move from your critic's presence into the Lord's presence. Another commentator said, when people get in your face, 
get down on your face. I'll put it this way. When the world punches you in the face, get down on your face. Now, this is good advice for any season of life, but when you are stretched thin emotionally, more than ever, you need God's wisdom to guide your response. More than ever, you need God's patience to hold your tongue. More than ever, you need God to quench the fire of your flesh so that you can respond with spirit-led self-control. And so let me just pause here and give you a chance to reflect. Do you know what season of life you're in right now? Is it a season of ease, success, blessing? Is life going relatively smoothly? If so, thank God for that season. But if it is a season of difficulty, if you're in a season of pain or struggle or loss or hurt or frustration, be extra intentional about stepping away to get time with Jesus. Your soul needs it more than you even know. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Now, I want to mention here that God's response to the people may not have been what Moses was hoping for. Moses is tired of these people. He's over these people. And we'll find out in a minute that he's got some anger building up in him. But God, God in this moment, does not seem that irritated. Oh, he's been irritated with these people before. There's been plenty of moments where, where he was frustrated with them. But here, in this moment, in this story, he's not frustrated. He's not annoyed. He's not enraged. Instead, he simply tells Moses and Aaron, give the people what they want. They're thirsty. Give them some water. Friends, when we are emotionally thin, when life is hard and our feelings are raw, you know that place where your feelings are just bubbling up inside of you? It's really easy in those moments to assume that God feels the same way we do. Right? I mean, I'm upset. So, of course, God's upset. I mean, I'm really frustrated, and so God must be frustrated. I mean, you're kind of bugging me, and so I'm sure you're really bugging God too. But when you are in an emotional season, be careful not to quickly assume that God's feelings mirror your feelings. God's feelings are often very different then our feelings, remember Pastor Nick from a couple weeks ago, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. I don't know about you, but when, when life presses in on me and I feel emotional and stressed, those words don't describe me. But they always describe the Lord. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. <laughs> I think that's like, the, like, the, like a cleaned-up version, actually. The one commentator I read this week said that the Hebrew word for rebels comes from the word maras, which is where we get our word moron. And that's, I mean, I'm serious. That's, that's true. I really read that. You think I'm kidding. I'm, that's... That's technical Hebrew scholarship. 
See, Moses here has been instructed to act on God's behalf, and yet he's allowing in this moment his frustration to taint God's message. He's allowing his agitation to change God's communication. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Who's Moses referring to here? Who's the we? I mean, must we bring you water out of this rock? Moses is talking here in this moment, just for clarity, about he and Aaron. Do Aaron and I have to do everything for you morons? That's the Dave International version, right? (laughs) And I can just hear God kind of saying, yeah, Moses, I'd like to see you do that, right? I would love to see you and Aaron make water magically start flowing from this rock. Moses here is getting, as my mother used to say, a little too big for his britches. And for those of you who are under 40, that means he's getting a little cocky. Okay. This is actually a startling moment for us, though, right? If, we've been, if you've been with us on this journey with Moses, if you've gotten to know him the way I feel like I've gotten to know him in this series, this is shocking because just eight chapters ago, he was described how? More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. This is the most humble man on the planet, and now he's acting with pride and arrogance. Why? Why now? Why is Moses suddenly behaving this way? Well, here's what I believe is happening. When life gets hard and we are emotionally thin, we are often more tempted to prop ourselves up with achievements and accomplishments. We are often tempted to look out into the world to sort of try and gather things or do things or engage things that will help us feel better in a moment. I mean, think about Moses here. He's, he's not a young man anymore. <laughs> he's been wandering around the desert for four years. He's tired. He's grieving. He just lost his dearly beloved sister. His days of leading these people are coming to a close. And so what does he do? He looks for something to make him feel good in a moment. He reaches for something that will will make him feel significant again. He grabs a hold of of an accolade that will divert the feelings of depression in his heart, at least for a little while. And here again, friends, is a lesson for us. When you find yourself in a season of loss, struggle, exhaustion, or frustration, be careful not to seek worldly recognition power or pleasure to mask or cover up your pain. Because this happens all the time in life. You've heard of midlife crisis, right? (laughs) Some of you are like, midlife crisis? How about late life crisis? This happens all the time in life, but it also happens time and time and time again in the scriptures. I'll give you one example. King David King David was a great man, a great leader, a man, the scriptures say, after God's own heart, a man whose heart reflected the heart of God himself. But then as David gets older, he's no longer the rising star of Israel anymore. In fact, his army is off fighting without him, and he's not feeling as celebrated and as needed and as appreciated as he once was. And that, and that is the moment when David sees a woman 
bathing on a neighboring rooftop. And David thinks, this will make me feel good. This will make me feel significant. This will certainly lift my spirits and make me feel like the man again. Friends, know this. Sin is often accessible when we are hurting and need something to numb our pain. Sin is always accessible when we are hurting and need something to numb our pain. It's almost as if there's an enemy out there who knows when we are vulnerable and susceptible. Then Moses, verse 11, raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. You will not bring this community into the land I give them. Now, if, if you're like me in this moment, if your emotional response to this story is at all like mine, you're thinking something like, Really, God? Like, after all Moses has been through? After all he's done for you? After all he's endured with this people? I mean, you know he just lost his sister, right? You know he's been dealing with these people for almost 40 years, right? And one little mistake, one little moment, a couple of smacks on a rock, and you're going to take the promised land away from him? Anyone else in here feel like this is just a little harsh? Thank you. One person. <laughs> One person is with me today. Nicole, praise God for you. Anyway. Let's read this chapter just a little closer. Just go into it with me for a minute. God says, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. What does that mean? Friends, when something is holy, it is not common. It is not ordinary. It is not typical. It is not trivial. Instead, when something is holy, it is special. It is significant. It is sacred. It is set apart. It is different than other Things. And in this moment, maybe even in this season, when Moses is hurting and grieving and frustrated and, disappointment and disappointed, he, he seems to forget who he is, what he's been called to do, and most importantly, who he's been called to serve. You see, even when life gets hard, you still have a calling. If you are in here today and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, even when life gets hard, even when it gets tough and brutal, you still have a calling and you are still a follower of God in this world. And maybe, maybe it's in that moment, in that moment of your greatest struggle that your commitment to follow God, even in the little things, has the chance to shine the brightest. See, I think the tragedy of this moment is that Moses had an opportunity here. He had an opportunity 
as a follower of God, he had an opportunity as a leader to show his people that even when times get real tough, even when I'm as low as I've ever been, even then I serve and am committed to a holy God. I'm not lackadaisical or casual about him and what he's called me to do and who he's called me to be. Friends, when you find yourself in a season of loss, struggle, exhaustion, or frustration, be careful to remember God is holy. Be careful to remember that this is when your faith can shine because light shines brightest in the darkness, doesn't it? Moses doesn't shine here. When things get tough, he actually reveals that maybe his hope was more in the land God was giving him than the God who was giving him the land. I want to say one more thing about this story. Um, Actually, I'm going to say two more things. I'm going to add something on the fly. What time is it? Okay. The other thing we see in this story is that and it's not going to be on the points because I cut it, but now I'm adding it back. <laughs> you ever have that moment? You're like, no, I don't preach, but here we go. Um, one of the things about Moses here that I think is amazing, and, you, and you, this, is a, this is a story of Moses' greatest failure, his greatest loss, his biggest disappointment in life, right? He's this close to the promised land, and then he loses it after 40 years of walking through the desert, I mean, and losing his sister, and then again, he'll lose his brother. Within a year, he will be dead as well. This is a tough, tough moment for Moses, but we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Who writes the book of Numbers? Who edits the entire Torah? Who puts this story of Moses' greatest failure in the Bible? See, that's the most humble man on the planet. That's a man who understands the power of confession. I mean, how easy would it have been if it was me? Like, let's just leave that one out, right? And the people grumbled, and they stole the promised land from me, dot, dot, dot. And then, right, like I could have done that easily, but Moses doesn't do it because he's so humble, and he understands the power of confession. Friends, do you understand the power of confession in your life? Especially when you're going through a season, especially when you're emotionally thin, you need to talk to someone. You need to talk about your struggles and your sins and your temptations, and you need to be really honest with some people. Why? so you don't act out of that pain. So that that pain doesn't get to drive your life. Okay, here we go. One more thing. Because it does seem rough, even with all that said, that Moses doesn't get into the promised land. I'm I'm still disappointed. It still feels to me like a movie that has that ending where the main character dies or doesn't end up with the girl or however, and you're like, what? Who wrote the ending of this movie? That's the, that was a great movie until the last 15 minutes, and now I hated it. You ever had that movie? You remember that movie? The entire Seinfeld series was that way. Anyway, that's a, another issue I'm working through. Um, but after Moses dies, which he will, his story in the Scriptures is not over. It's not the end of the Moses story in the Scriptures, because... Many, many, many chapters later, there will be a day described in Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus will come and he will stand on a mountaintop in Israel engulfed in the cloud of God's presence that led God's people through the desert. And in that moment, in that moment of transfiguration, appearing with Jesus will be two men. You remember who they are? 
Elijah and Big Mo. You see, friends, Moses may not have made it into Cana. He may, he may have come up short of the land flowing with milk and honey in this life, but the message of the scriptures is that Moses made it. Moses made it to glory. Moses made it to majesty. Moses made it to the kingdom of heaven. Moses made it to the eternal promised land. That's the message of the scriptures. You see, friends, Maybe the most important lesson in this story of Moses' failure is this. When you find yourself in a season of loss, struggle, exhaustion, or frustration, be careful to never forget God's grace and the eternity that awaits you. Remember to never forget that you are never living for what this life would give you. That's not the ultimate goal of your existence. You see, for most of us, the promised land is, is retirement with plenty of money and lots of cruises. That is not what your life is for. I, I'm not saying anything against cruises. You can go on a cruise. It's, they're great. It's not the ultimate reality of your life. If things get hard and this life starts to steal your dreams, remember the ultimate dream that you will have with God in heaven forever. In case you didn't know, that's a really, really long time. You see, the ultimate reality of Moses' life is that he won, he made it, and not because he was so great, but because God's mercy is so majestic. You see, even Moses had to learn at the end of his life that it's not about me, it's about God's amazing love for me. That's what sustains him. And friends, that's why we come and gather and share this meal we share this meal to remind ourselves and to declare together that we, every single one of us here, stands on the grace and mercy of God. And that no matter what is happening in this life, especially if you're in a tough season, that there will come a day when things are made right and things are made new and you get to be with God in glory forever. And that should give your heart hope even through the darkest of storms. You see, this meal is a reminder to you especially to those of you today who are in a tough season. God is still on the throne and his grace and mercy that he won on that cross over that grave is greater than anything I will ever face in this life, even when that thing seems to defeat me. So friends, if your heart needs that today, if your heart needs the encouragement of the gospel today, the good news of Jesus, the victory of God over your sin and your death and my sin and my death and all the brokenness in this entire world throughout history, if your heart needs to remember how great our God is today, then come to the table this morning. Come to the table and take the bread, take the cup and taste his death and drink in the reality of his victory over the grave. And friends, this meal will not just give you, not just give you grace and mercy for your failures. It will give you grace and mercy to strengthen you, to be the person that God needs you to be through those hard seasons of life. If you need that today, come to the table. I'm going to pray, and then the tables are going to be open. When you're ready, Austin and the team are going to sing a song. Make your way to the table, take the elements, bring it back to your seat. We're going to receive them together in just a minute. But first, let's pray together.
Lord, I want to pray right now specifically for people in this room who are in a tough season. For people in this room who feel life in some way pressing in on them. For people who feel like life is too big, that they don't have the answers, that they don't have the solutions. That For people who maybe, Lord, feel like just giving up, like just cashing it in, just submitting themselves to earthly pleasures and desires. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them. You'd speak to us, Lord, that you would encourage us today, that you would lift us, that you'd remind us of who you are, of what you've done, of your great love, of your mercy. And we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for Moses. We thank you for his successes and his failures. We thank you for your grace that is big enough for him and that is big enough for us. So as we share this meal, Lord Jesus, be lifted up in our midst. Remind us that you are King and Lord and Savior. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.